Welcome to the PeopleSoft Chat Podcast. Our guest this episode is Tracy Sewell, Employee Benefits Manager at County of Ventura and President of the Oracle Public Sector User Group. And now, here's your podcast host, Senior Director of Product Strategy at Oracle, Robin Valitem. Welcome, everybody, to the PeopleSoft Chat Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today, Tracy Sewell, who's an employee benefits manager with the County of Ventura and also the president of the Oracle Public Sector User Group. Tracy, welcome to the PeopleSoft Chat Podcast. Thank you, Robin. It's great to be here. Yeah, you know, when I, you and I had spoken about possibly doing a podcast, I immediately thought of how we could reach out to all of the public sector customers that we have, because you probably are aware that PeopleSoft is pretty rich with public sector customers. A large percentage of our customers are public sector, but so is Oracle, right? Oracle's got a ton of public sector customers. So I think this gives us a good opportunity to reach out to um, to all those public sector customers out there. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think often we don't consider um, what public sector truly means. And the public sector user group, as you mentioned, I'm the president of the public sector user group currently. And, you know, we represent not just federal, state and local government, but K through 12 schools and districts. We've got airports, port and housing authorities, nonprofit organizations, public utilities, basically any organization that accepts uh, public funds. Yeah, you and I were just talking before we started our, recording our podcast about how many people may not realize what a public sector organization is. Um, anybody that's getting some type of funding, any type of public funding, they may fall under having to follow public sector rules. So let's um, let's first, um, if you could, uh, tell people a little bit about your background and um, kind of what your role is, not only with the county but also uh, with the uh, with the user group. Sure. Um, so I've been with the County of Ventura for 27 years. Uh, 17 of those years have been in human resources. And uh, I'm currently, as you mentioned, I'm currently the employee benefits manager at the county. Um, and then, then I'm also the lead uh, PeopleSoft system administrator for benefits. As far as being the president of public sector user group, I've been on the board for six years, uh, serving as the president since 2020, early 2020. Um, I'm going to be rolling off shortly and uh, turning the reins over to a new president, but I hope to remain on uh, as past president. Some of the roles that I have as a leader of public sector user group, we establish goals every year for the group and for our membership. Currently, goals are to increase our active membership. Uh, we're trying to reach out to other public sector agencies, entities, to bring them on board. And the reason we do that is because we are the whole purpose for us to exist is to provide opportunities for collaboration and education. We do monthly webinars, uh, things like that. So, yeah, I guess we'll probably talk more later about PSUG, but uh, I can get into how to connect with us. But yeah, I think that's a good 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 thing to do because not all of our people solve public sector customers know who else is a PeopleSoft public sector customer, right? And, Correct. Um, I think a lot of times what I've seen, particularly in public sector, that customers are in a great position to help each other because in many instances, they experience kind of the same challenges 
or have some similar rules that they have to follow. So they're trying to figure out how to get people soft to do that, to be able to implement those rules. So let's talk a little bit about, about that. So as a public sector organization, I mean, you probably get a chance to not only learn about the challenges that you have at the county, but also you get to hear from other public sector organizations what are some of the challenges on their list when it comes to HR. Can you talk a little bit about what you've heard as some some challenges that maybe are similar across different public sector organizations when we think of when we think of HCM HCM overall? Yeah. Are you talking about like system specific or just HR in general? I think HR in general, because uh, the reason why I'm I'm asking is because I, I feel like the more I talk to public sector customers, a lot of the challenges that they're facing are very similar to the ones that private sector are facing. You know, wh- whether it's um, having difficulty figuring out a modern way to recruit um, new hires, whether it's having a re- uh, having to deal with compensation, being competitive with compensation, dealing with an aging workforce, dealing with turnover, like all of these things that I hear on the private sector side, I think are very similar to what's going on in the public sector. But I think you'd have a better understanding given that you get to hear from many different public sector organizations, but just HR overall. Yeah. So obviously with the recent pandemic, you know, things changed, both public and private sector Um, in the HR arena. We saw uh, definitely a larger need to engage our employees virtually you know, in public sector, we most of the time are constrained by budgets that are a little bit tighter than possibly in the private sector. Um, so being able to quickly turn almost all virtual when our employees went out to remote work, uh, we had quite a large number go out. That has been a challenge, but one that we are tackling I thought we did a really good job tackling it. And I think other, other public sector agencies have as well. I get on quarterly calls with other HR managers and benefit managers that um, share our uh, current troubles. And um, it's amazing how resilient people can be and, and organizations can be. So we're having to see uh, the need to accelerate digitization and automation. Um, We've got to meet not just individual needs, but organizational needs. So when it comes to like recruiting, you know, we are almost doing all of our like job uh, interviews and testings and oral boards. All of those are being done virtually. We still do some in person, but definitely not as much as we used to do. Isn't that funny how from a remote perspective, there used to be so much pushback before the pandemic. There'd be so much pushback, even if you were to want to work remotely for a couple of days a week, uh, particularly in public sector. It's more like, hey, if I can't see you, I don't know if you're working, right? So I need you to be uh, in the office. But it's even more than that. It's that some jobs require you to be there in person. And it's just how we're used to working, you know, working together with other folks. And then uh, the pandemic hit, and then everybody pivoted to remote working. And isn't it funny how it just all of a sudden became acceptable, and everybody figured out a way to get it done? 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think through all of it as managers, you definitely have had to pivot. And if you had not supervised remote workers before, you know, it's definitely a, a shift in thinking, you know, instead now we're focusing on perhaps developing more agile workers. We have to provide, you know, more digital tools to support them. But to your point, just having to supervise somebody that you're used to seeing in person every day, you definitely need to change your focus. It's not, you're not uh, like micromanaging is not going to work. <laughs> no, it's not. No. And so you, you have to focus on the tasks and, you know, just making sure that the job is getting done and not, not focus on the person. Yeah. And, and one of the things is that you kind of take for granted when you see somebody in person, you can kind of get a sense. You may not even have to talk to that person, but you walk by their office or you walk by the cube. And um, if you see them, you can get a sense of what kind of mood they're in, if everything's okay. When when you go remote, unless you can see them on video on your Zoom or what have you, you don't really know, right? I mean, you, you, I think as a manager, what I learned is uh, you have to ask, you have to ask questions because um, if you don't, you don't, you don't have any other way of knowing um, how well your employees are adjusting to what's going on. You're right, Robin. I, I think communication is definitely key. And, you know, certainly it's not something, it's not a good fit for everybody, but there are employees and quite a few employees who actually thrive in a remote work environment. So it's, it's been a positive for, for our organization and other public sector organizations that I talk to. As a matter of fact, some of them are even considering keeping the changes permanent. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Even as we go back, I mean, to, as we try, right, to go back to quote unquote normal, you're, you're thinking that even in the public sector, uh, there will be organizations that will allow their employees to work remotely. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. It's interesting how a pandemic has kind of forced our hand, but without that pivoting, it just it, last year would have been a complete loss when it comes to productivity. But in in a way, it's it, it became one of the most productive years for, for many industries because um, you know people went to remote work and they ended up probably working more hours than they did if they were going into the office, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, that actually is a good point, yes. Uh, I frequently heard from employees and myself included, it, the hardest part for me was learning how to turn it off. You know, it's it's difficult when you're home and everything you need to work is at home. It definitely is hard to log off at a decent hour to spend time with your family, maybe eat dinner. Yeah, no, for <laughs> that sure. That didn't always happen in the beginning. Seems like you're always on. You know, um, you, so you were talking about, a, you gave a good few examples of things that are challenges in the in the public sector space. I'd, I'd like to explore a couple of those other than remote working. What, what do you see as another area that in, from an HR perspective Uh, public sector organizations have to find ways to address? I mean, definitely, it's always a challenge to uh, make sure that we're in a good position to attract talent in the increasingly competitive job market. Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of talented people out there, and it's just trying to come up with better, bigger and better ideas on how to attract that talent. So, I mean, various different work schedules perhaps would attract 
um, some of the younger generations, you know, those are things that they value time off with their friends and family. Sometimes they'll, they prefer that over an increase in pay even. So I think it's just adapting our mindset to um, the different generational needs and wants. And I think HR has definitely made lots of advancements in that area, uh, but I definitely think it's an area that needs continued focus on. Have you seen with the kind of, like, I, I agree with you in terms of things being generational. I think the new generation coming into the workforce I think for somehow somehow they they prefer or appreciate more balance than I think I did when I was entering the workforce, um, and they also have a better appreciation for the ultimate goal of the employer, right? The organization itself. Yes. Have you seen Have you seen some of that on on the public sector side? Well, you mentioned that there's a there's a, a need for balance. If people like that balance in their work life balance. What about in terms of like the mission of your organization? Are you seeing uh, new folks coming into the workplace looking to have a better connection with what the organization's mission is and what they're supposed to be doing? Absolutely. I, you know, when when I talk about the balance, you know, wanting time off more than um, an increase in pay, also when they're at work, they're really present. You know, they, they do want to be a part of the organization's mission and I, I often find them looking for more challenges. They um, are eager to learn and just want to be, especially in the public sector, you know, as public servants, we want to look f- for ways to assist and better our communities. So I see that in the younger generation. They, they want new challenges. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. To me, it, it's commendable. and. I just love working with the younger generation because it actually inspires me and reminds me why I am a public sector employee. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I see that uh, even with the types of private sector organizations, you know, obviously they're for profit, but at the same time, there's a mission and the new generation wants to be part of that mission, wants to contribute in a measurable way. Mm-hmm. to that mission because that's one of the reasons why they joined that organization and then i think also if there aren't enough of those projects to go around where you can you know measurably contribute to the to the organization's mission at the very least they like to get involved with the philanthropy of the organization right or volunteering uh, that uh, community volunteering that um, or charity work that the organization does, right? So absolutely, that's uh, that that's something that kind of evolved as I got older and as I was progressing in my career. Those types of organized, you know, events really started to happen as I was working. It wasn't something that was there when I started. I don't know about you, <laughs> but uh, it was definitely something that's that's been more popular over the most recent years. Absolutely. You know, I noticed it more so during the pandemic, you know, as public sector employees, we are committed to being disaster service workers when we're hired. And you even sign an agreement saying that if there is a disaster and you're called to do so, you will serve where they put you. And we saw over a thousand of our employees be deployed as disaster service workers, many of them like we're talking about in the younger generations, 
And they rose to the challenge. You know, we put them at vaccination sites and uh, dry, you know, delivering meals to the elderly who couldn't get out of the house or or shouldn't be out of the house during a pandemic. This was prior to vaccinations being available to see them rise to the challenge and do it so well was impressive and exciting to me. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I know where I was when I started my first job and uh, I think, I mean, I would have certainly followed the lead, right? So I would have done what was needed, but for me to think that way when I was, when I was just first starting, uh, starting out, I wasn't thinking that way at all. (laughs) You know, I was, I was just trying to think of ways that how can I um, get a job that I like and keep it and, and advance and learn and, and, and do all those things. But I think what I'm trying to say is I was probably pretty selfish when I started working, you know, doing the very best that I could. Um, but in this way, what you just described is very selfless, you know, and, and being able to rise to the occasion and do it and probably without any fanfare, right? Because these aren't things that you hear about. You, they, they knew they signed up to do it and probably were very thrilled to be able to help their community. Yes, yes. That was the joy uh, seeing that happen, you know, that I think sometimes the younger generations do get somewhat of a bad rap. We often may think of them as selfish, but as you said, they really showed that they can be selfless and many are selfless. They really reached out and helped um, those who were in need during a great time of need. Absolutely. And then, you know, anytime somebody does say that about the new generation, I always tell them, just think about what you were like when you were that age, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and, and cut them a break. Have you heard of any interesting ways to handle recruiting? Maybe, maybe interesting is not the right word or something that's more current, more modern to uh, really recruit the new generation. Since I think we agree on what really motivates them. Have you seen anything with the public sector customers and how they've maybe changed the way they recruit for uh, for public sector? Well, you know, being in HR, I do know a little bit about the HR side of the mm-hmm. house. I mean, you know, I'm a benefits manager, so my main focus is benefits, but I'm often in meetings with senior staff for HR. And yeah, yeah I mean, like I ex- uh, explained earlier, you know, we do have several options now for doing things virtually, which I know the younger generation appreciates. Uh, you know, being able to test or interview virtually in the benefits world, there are are things like pet insurance of all things that the younger generation is looking for. I think introducing things that maybe used to be considered crazy or maybe way outside the box are maybe not so crazy anymore. If it's pet insurance that they want, why not offer them pet insurance? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I can tell you, uh, pet insurance actually is a great deal in the long run. It is a really great deal <laughs> to your point. Yeah. I mean, if you were to evaluate the, in the traditional sense your benefits, you're probably not looking past, you know, medical, dental vision, maybe disability to bring in something, something like pet insurance or, you know, something else like maybe a coverage for, for gym mem- health and gym membership, or some of these other things that people kind of didn't really offer because they thought it was, it was way beyond what they should offer for as a, as an organization, mm-hmm. think of it. I, I would say, think of it this way, you know, the recruiting process, which if you're doing interviews via zoom and whatnot, that's fantastic. 
Uh, but recruiting and benefits, those are their first two interactions with you. So it's your first impression as an employer or potential employer, right? So yes. as good as that can be, that that can really establish a foundation for this person to say, man, I really like you know, the way things are going here. And I've, I'm really, I'm, the excitement that I had joining this organization is even more, right? Because they feel like the, that you're progressive, right? And that you're meeting their needs. I think that's a very important thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's why I like PeopleSoft onboarding so much. You can put a video in there and that's what the younger generation and even some of the older generations, when they come on board, it's nice to on the first day, see a video from maybe the CEO or you know, the board of supervisors in a, in a, in a uh, public sector organization, it's kind of nice to see that uh, on your computer when you first sit down and go through all your paperwork, you don't have to sit there with another person looking over your shoulder to make sure you sign every single form. Right. Right. I remember the first job I had, I, I sat in a cube and I hadn't even got my computer yet. I just kind of sat there. I had a phone, but you know, I really didn't have much. It, It wasn't the best first day ever. I didn't have much to talk about when I got home, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of the experience that a lot of people had back in the day. And um, I think um, it's so more important than ever before to have a really good first day with somebody coming on board because they probably had a really great first day when, when they went to school and uh, they just, that first impression is so important to them. And I don't think they understand how how many challenges there are in coordinating all the different groups that need to be a part of the onboarding process. Right. Uh, but quite honestly, they probably don't care, right? <laughs> they just care about how can they get started right away because they're so eager to get going. And uh, I can appreciate that. Yeah, me too. So from a PeopleSoft uh, perspective, you mentioned uh, onboarding. So you obviously are very aware of that feature. But in general, what's been your experience uh, with PeopleSoft? So with PeopleSoft, I've um been a user for 17 years. I started on uh, 8-8 actually at the county. Um, And now I would consider myself, I always call myself a funky tech. (laughs) I am a functional user, but I can speak with our technical folks. What, you know, just as well, we sit in meetings all the time together and chat about the system. I'm on the the county's PeopleSoft uh, steering committee so I at least have a voice in how we are utilizing the system and what we're going to do in the future. And I enjoy that. So yeah, 17 years, let's see. So we went from 8.8 to 9.1. I was part of that upgrade group. And then of course, um, 9.1 to 9.2. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah, you survived two major upgrades. That's, <laughs> uh, that's a, you should get two badges for that, for sure. <laughs> So uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, PeopleSoft has a really large percent of its customer base is public sector. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a number of reasons why I think, you know, public sector customers gravitated towards PeopleSoft back in the day and still continue to run PeopleSoft today. I wanted to get your thoughts on why you thought public sector customers really liked liked PeopleSoft and continue to use PeopleSoft. For us... Definitely PeopleSoft was attractive because we could tell right off the bat, there's a culture of collaboration amongst the users. And I'm sh- I'm sure that might be the case with other systems, but for us, that's what first attracted us was just the whole group of users was attractive. 
And when you're in a public sector organization, we're not able to, because of our budget constraints, it's not easy to switch to a different system. It takes lots of approvals and you know, you have to wait for your budget to be approved and that sort of thing. So it, right. it actually could take years if you wanted to make changes. So when you choose a system, it has to be something that you're truly happy with. And I mean, Oracle is just, uh, has a proven track record, right? They value maintaining forums with their customers and all those interactions with their customers. To, to us, that was important. Somebody that cared about how we viewed the system and and how we can partner to make it better. Um, and of course, especially um, lately with the introduction of drop zones and page and field configurator, to be able to um, configure the system so easily, I think that's a big deal for public sector. You know, we often are dealing with labor contracts that can sometimes be very difficult to actually roll out the <laughs> pieces of the contract and administrate that. Uh, but being able to configure the system so easily is helpful. And I think that's why um, public sector organizations are attracted to PeopleSoft. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you based on what, what I've been hearing too, especially along the lines of being able to make those types of changes using page and field configurator and other configuration tools. Because in many cases, public sector organizations don't have a choice on how things need to be called or implemented. I think you're right with the configuration tools. It just makes it easier for funky techs like you and others to be able to make those changes. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of our configuration frameworks that we've been delivering over the past couple of years and will continue to do are kind of targeted to the funky tech um, so that uh, and that's by design because we'd like to see those who've been working with the PeopleSoft product for years be able to make some of these changes themselves without having to involve other technical folks. Um, so that hopefully has been helpful. It's actually been super helpful. Um, you know, for me, we put in fluid benefits enrollment almost when it first came out. And that was mainly because I was able to do most of the configuration myself. I, I did need help with the security piece of it from our technical folks, but the rest of it, because of the way PeopleSoft, uh, like you said, made it so user-friendly for funky techs like me. Right. And even if I was just a functional user, it really is that simple. It, it wasn't that difficult and we didn't run into, uh, I would say no problems on the setting up part. It was, you right. know, so it, it just made it so much easier for me to be able to do it without going to a technical person. You know, and I think you just touched on something that is probably another reason why PeopleSoft is so popular among public sector organizations. You know, the fact that you could take a feature like that in benefits and kind of take the lead with it and be successful with it, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But because the public sector organizations collaborate with each other and have the PSUG, the public sector user group, to share experiences, you can share with others pretty quickly, right, how successful you were and inspire them to take a look at it. Because sometimes the, the big hump that we need to get over when it comes to a new feature and trying to get customers to implement it is 
to convince them that it's not that hard to do. It's not that hard to do on their own. They don't need to bring in a consultant necessarily, especially if they're just going to go with the basics. And I think that's what the public sector user group does very well is be able to share success stories. And then that helps customers deploy new features in PeopleSoft, which they otherwise wouldn't do. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. And and I think it's also worth mentioning um, that you and your team have been instrumental in helping us adopt some of the new stuff coming out. Because you're constantly, you know, in our, our webinars and our discussions and also the way that you provide support for those who want to be first adopters or early adopters, I think it's fantastic. I mean, we're trying to put the fluid job data in right now, and we were able to be a part of the group of early adopters who got to have routine calls with your staff. And, you know, that's been integral in getting to where we are today. So I think both ways, both user groups and Oracle, just the collaboration has been phenomenal. And it's it's for that reason that an organization like ours would choose to stay with PeopleSoft. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I appreciate that feedback as well. We do work pretty hard as a strategy team to keep our customers educated on the new stuff, but also help them in any way we can to understand what they're about to get into. I think our customers are are very um, very eager to deploy new features. It's sometimes they just don't have time to review it all, yeah. right? To review all the features and understand it well enough to be able to say, oh, you know, it's only going to take me two weeks to do X, right? right. Um, because everybody has their own, everybody has their to-do list and everybody has to put together some sort of project plan and account for their time. And I think the unknown is what makes some customers decide not to deploy a feature especially if they are assuming that it's a big one. But uh, that's why we do our best to support any customers that try to take on particularly some of the bigger features. And we try to share their stories, the ones that are successful with it. You know, we try to share their stories with others so that they can be inspired to do it too. But I, I agree with you 100% what you said. So that's kind of the on, the on the PeopleSoft side, but there's also a lot of talk about cloud these days. And no one can get away from it. It's it's in every trade article. It's at every trade conference. And it's something that you just simply can't avoid. And we understand why, because that's considered kind of the, the way of the future. Uh, if you want to deploy applications as, a, as an organization, an enterprise, whether you're private sector, public sector, the way forward is, is likely to be cloud deployments, right? Mm-hmm. Even though we have plenty of PeopleSoft customers running their PeopleSoft environments on-premise. I'd like to get your sense based on your experience with public sector organizations. Where do you see the appetite for cloud when when it comes to public sector? Well, you know, it's interesting. I definitely see that changing. Traditionally, public sector organizations, they have been not so comfortable with moving things to the cloud because they have this perceived need to protect sensitive, and it's not maybe perceived need, perhaps it is a need to protect sensitive and proprietary, sometimes top secret data. Like at the county, we have law enforcement, we have public safety, their data needs to be protected. And I think historically, there's been this notion that if you put things in the cloud, if you put data in the cloud, it's not as secure. I think the message is finally getting out that that's not 
the case. You know, we we're definitely seeing a greater number of public sector organizations moving toward cloud-based apps or uh, PeopleSoft and OCI. They're recognizing that there is budget savings that can come from leveraging the increased speed and security, agility, bandwidth that the cloud solution provides. The cost of hosting servers in a cloud environment, that's been declining. When, when you look at it in line with economies of scale, right, you've got more customers coming on that can only, in the long run, decrease the cost. So I think it's important for public sector organizations to maybe shift their focus, realize that PeopleSoft has uh, you know, you don't, it's not an all in, they have options. It's not an all in decision. You don't have to move all hardware, database, application, everything to the cloud. It can be done hy- in a hybrid fashion. Yeah. You know, I, I, in my early conversations with particularly public sector organizations three or four years ago, it was a non starter when it came to cloud. I mean, it was just like a hard no. <laughs> And uh, for all the reasons that you had mentioned, particularly around data security, because the expectations were so high and they just, they wanted to own that data and manage it themselves. So I, I certainly heard that feedback and I agree with you over time, it's softened a little bit because people start to see the value of the cloud and don't see it as just another platform, but it's actually um, another way to enhance security and to potentially deploy things faster and and get up to speed faster. So there are definitely merits to the cloud that I think public sector organizations are starting to understand a lot better these days. How do you suggest um, when, when you have members of the of the user group wanting to know more about cloud, what kind of advice do you give them? Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, we have seen such an increased need to discuss the cloud services that we have added a vice president of cloud services to our board, our PSUG board, that person will be responsible for providing a monthly webinar or a monthly roundtable discussion for cloud users to get together and chat about, you know, best practices or pain points or whatever. So yeah, definitely we are seeing an increased need we are going to address it by having this new position in place. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the best thing to do, whether you think your organization is a step away from transitioning to the cloud or years away, it's still a good idea individually to just to keep up to date with what's going on, right? Asking questions, getting answers, understanding where things are, what has changed because things do change pretty quickly, particularly in the cloud world. Absolutely. I think it's really incumbent upon us, anybody that's in IT, whether it's HRIT or benefits or anything else, to keep up to date with what's going on. You know, spend some time every, you know, six months or so trying to track and see what's going on. I think it's a I think a valuable, valuable approach. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of the PSUG, one thing I wanted to ask you before we start to wrap up here is, where do you see the the PSUG going? Um, I mean, I know that you're bringing in a, a new a new vice president in charge of cloud, and sounds like there's a, a bunch of other things going on. But what what is your vision, and where do you see the PSUG organization uh, going in the future? 
Well, I mean, definitely continuing to build on our already established collaborative partnerships, like with Oracle and with other Oracle uh, PeopleSoft user groups, like uh, Quest PeopleSoft community. We recently expanded our partnership with Quest, and that is exciting. They've got a lot going on, and it's a great place to be if you're a Oracle user, PeopleSoft user. And these partnerships, you know, they allow our members to speak with a common voice about product expectations and recommendations and just share information and experiences with each other. Ultimately, hopefully, for cost-effective use of our Oracle products. So it's exciting to see the direction that we're going with Quest. The whole board is excited about it. It's kind of reinvigorated us. Yeah, and we just look forward, like I said, to continuing to build on our partnership with Oracle as well. Yeah, that sounds great. And you know, um, through your kind words earlier, you know we'll still continue to support our public sector customers. There's always in our best interest, but we also want to help public sector customers do their very best to get the most out of PeopleSoft. We empathize with you know this the cycles that you guys have to go through when it comes to you know one year you may have budget to do something and the next year you don't and uh, that can be frustrating uh, particularly when maybe the year that you don't have budget to do something is the year we deliver something that you want <laughs> um, so so we we totally understand the matching up of of the of the cycles and how it's important for public sector to get the most that they can out of the system that they decided to deploy years ago and will continue to invest in and and uh, we'll always be there to help our public sector customers. Thank you, Robin. That, that's uh, very much appreciated. Well, Tracy, it has been my pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I want to thank everyone for listening and for your support. Don't forget to help spread the word about the PeopleSoft Chat podcast and contact me with your suggestions for future guests and topics. Until then, be well and be safe. Thank you for listening to the PeopleSoft Chat Podcast. If you have any feedback or questions, please feel free to reach out to Robin over email at robin.belitem at oracle.com.